Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christiania Internet Radio. Today is Friday, December 11th, 2020. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. This evening, we have Dr. Michael Hill with us to discuss the current crisis which our race faces. We have Black Lives Matter riots, the burning of cities. We have the COVID scare campaign. We have the supposed evidence for Biden ballot box stuffing. All of these events certainly seem to add up to a new Bolshevik revolution engineered in order to first us all, force us all further into a communist global collective to which most Americans remain oblivious because they are educated almost entirely by the mainstream media. So this evening, we have our good friend and president of the League of the South, Dr. Michael Hill with us to discuss this current crisis facing white Americans, or more specifically, white Southerners, and what things we may be able to do about it in the future, how we should face this crisis. Hello, Dr. Hill. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Bill, for having me on your show again. It's always a very great pleasure to be with you. Well, I appreciate that, sir. Th these... um. These events and the unfolding results of the last election certainly seem suspicious, to say the least. Back in mid-November, Trump lawyer Sidney Powell, now, now there's two female lawyers that came right out and stepped right up, and, and I don't think they do this lightly, because it's a serious career risk, that this Trump lawyer Sidney Powell made Sensational accusations claiming that she had solid evidence of massive voter fraud. Yet, at, at least in the public, none of this evidence seems to have materialized according to her claims. As early as November 5th, Florida lawyer Pam, Pam Bondi, and, and she's not just any Florida lawyer, she's the former attorney general of the state of Florida, she jumped out in support of Trump claiming that there was vote fraud in Pennsylvania and nothing seems to have come of it. I, I haven't seen anything in the mainstream media on Pam Bondi since those assertions made November 5th. Now there's a Texas lawsuit which makes no direct claims of vote fraud but only complains about procedures in other states or late changes in procedures. And the Texas lawsuit seems to have any actual substance of evidence of voter fraud in its complaints, while the leftist media is portraying that lawsuit as an admission of a lack of evidence for fraud. And, and Trump has joined in that suit. We all know the system is scammed, but nobody seems to be able to provide evidence to prove how we are being scammed. Democracy, we know that democracy itself is a failure. Most people who vote aren't even intelligent or informed enough to make such a choice in the first place. So in any event, we are never going to fix anything by voting. In my opinion, the circus is not worth the price of the ticket, but these are the situations and times in which we live, and these are the, the events which are unfolding are events that we're going to have to face and have to live through. Bill, I, I do believe that uh, you're absolutely right about this lack of evidence. Uh, obviously, the, the mainstream news media is not going to report on any evidence that would benefit Trump. 
But I, I'm, I'm not so sure that there are not other avenues, venues, uh, where Trump's people could get this evidence out, if indeed it exists. And I have no doubt that there was voter fraud. Uh, but, uh, you know, saying that is one thing. Proving it is another. Now, back to the, the Sidney Powell uh, situation in particular, my understanding was that she was not really that concerned with the irregularities involved in, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, sending ballots in late, um, miscounting ballots at the polling, you know, the counting stations or whatever they're called. She was more concerned with the systemic uh, results of, of fraud with the Dominion voting systems. And I thought that's what she was going to be uh, making these great revelations regarding. Uh, and, you know, she, she may yet do that. She may have all this stuff lined up and is going to reveal it all at one time. But you're right. So far, there's been a big, big, big lack of evidence uh, coming out of the Trump side of this thing. And, uh, you know, who knows uh, what this suit's going to do. It is procedural, as you pointed out. Uh, someone told me the other day, though, that they had these hundreds of affidavits <clears throat> that have been signed in various states that were going to be introduced as part of, of this Texas suit. I don't know if they can do that or not, but I've, I've thought from the very beginning that this thing might come down to a Supreme Court decision, just like the uh, more limited Florida case did in 2000 or that it might come down to the state legislatures in some of these swing states uh, simply going with their own uh, electors for Trump instead of the electors for Biden. I don't know. This is such a confused situation right now that I, I don't think anybody really has a, a firm grasp of what's, what's happening here. But I, I'll say this to you, and it's a very simplistic, fundamental thing, but I believe it's true. I don't think either side is going to accept a victory by the other as being legitimate. And that means that you've got 70 something million people uh, up to probably, you know, 80 or maybe, maybe more uh, on, on either side who are not going to accept the results of, of the election. And what does that mean? Does that mean that there is massive civil disobedience one side or, on one side or the other? Does it mean that there's an actual civil war that breaks out um I, I mean i don't know this is this is territory that we haven't walked before ground that's very new uh, certainly in our lifetimes but i think maybe in in the life of, of the united states so i i don't know it's uh certainly bears watching every day but one thing is for sure our enemies just like you pointed out uh have unleashed what I have been saying now for quite some time, even before the election, was an ongoing Bolshevik revolution. And the target is to destroy white people, uh, particularly white Christians. So, Oh, I absolutely, I absolutely believe that. And we'll be getting to that a little later, for, for sure. I, I have some numbers that lead me to believe that there is voter fraud. What, when and and this is only with a couple hours research. I didn't. I don't have the time to sit and pore over statistics and data for weeks. And and perhaps somebody else can do that. But the, these numbers to me are are incredible. I spent a couple hours this morning compiling these just 
out of curiosity to see what's going on. And, and it basically substantiates our feelings. It's only feelings, but it substantiates the feelings that we have that the, the system is scammed. And, and I'd like to go over those for a minute, if you will. In, in 2016, sure. in 2016, now that was a very heated election, right? Hillary thought she had it sealed up, yes. that there were um, tons of people that wanted to stop Hillary, stop Hillary. And, and, and the numbers were far from a landslide. Trump didn't even win the popular vote, according to the numbers. In 2016, there were 129 million votes cast for president. In 2020, there were 155 million votes cast for president. That's 26 million additional votes. That's an, a 20% increase in the number of voters in four years. A 20% That's just increase. unheard of. That is unheard of. From 2012 to 2016, the increase in voters was only about 3 million. In spite of the fact that the 2016 election, the 2012 election didn't have any inspiring candidates, right? I mean, Mitt Romney was not inspiring anybody to show up in the voting booth. So from no. 2012, you would expect a lot more voters in 2016. There were only 3 million more. In spite of the fact that the 2016 election seemed to arouse a much greater interest than that of 2012. And 2020, for that for that matter. So we had this incredible jump in, in the number of voters in, in this current election. And Georgia, the state of Georgia, had nearly a million additional voters in 2020 than in 2016. And that represents an increase of perhaps 25%. Michigan had a half million wow. more voters than the last election. Nearly half of those half million voters were in Wayne, Oakland, and Kent counties. And they're the, Wayne and Oakland, Detroit is in Wayne County, and, and Oakland is next to it. And then Kent County is Grand Rapids. So they're big urban areas. Now, now other counties with large cities in Michigan, such as Genesee County, which is where Flint is, and Ingham County, which is where Lansing is, they had markedly smaller increases in the number of voters. But this Wayne, Oakland, and Kent, three counties had 250,000 extra voters or, or more voters than they had in 2016. Likewise, in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania had 6.8 million voters approximately in 2020, while there were only 5.9 million voters in 2016. And that's an increase of nearly a million. But as an election outsider, it would take months to analyze the raw vote data, data and compare it to voter registrations, population growth statistics, and other demographics data before actually determining whether there could, whether there could have been any systemic fraud in key counties. And much of the required data may not even really be available. For example, the population of Wayne County, Michigan, Detroit, mostly, the population there has shrunk 5% since 2010, while the number of those who voted for president in 2020 was 6% greater than it was in 2012, when you had a, 
a black candidate running for president. To this day, there is still debate as to whether the reported vote fraud in 1960 actually swung the results of the election in favor of John Kennedy, and the truth will never be known. If we don't know the truth yet about 1960, how are we ever going to find out the truth about 2020? The population of Fulton County, Georgia, grew by about 15% since 2010. And Fulton County, of course, is the, the, the location of Atlanta. The population there grew 15% since 2010. But the number of voters in 2020 was 34% greater than it was in 2012. So if there was no vote fraud, then the liberal media, Negro riots, and COVID fear porn were very effective in getting Democratic voters to turn out much more so than four years ago. It, it's incredible to me, these numbers, that they're so much higher than they were four years ago in these particular areas. That, that it's hard to imagine that a few hundred thousand votes weren't stuffed into the boxes here and there. It really is. Well, one, one thing that, that I've observed and, and, and heard, obviously I, I don't know this to be a fact, uh, is that a lot of these votes um, obviously were suspect uh, in places like Fulton County, Georgia, and, and certainly in, uh, I, I don't know what county uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is, but it, it would be uh, likewise in Wayne County, uh, Michi uh, Michigan, too. Uh, a lot of these votes, uh, so Trump's campaign says, were illegally cast votes uh, with a mail-in, uh, you know, all the, all the things that went on with uh, all the little details. And I'm not sure what they all are in every state about voting, correct voting procedures, uh, determining the legitimacy of a particular ballot. But my understanding, Bill, is that a lot of this evidence is already gone, uh, that the crime has been committed, the evidence has been destroyed, and there is no way to actually prove what happened other than to uh, look at circumstantial evidence uh, like, you know, you've been discussing right now the, the number of extra votes uh, from 2012, 2016 to 2020. And obviously something doesn't add up about those, but it, just as you said, proving that these were illegitimate ballots that had been cast may be by this time impossible to do because of the destruction of evidence uh, in, in some of these big, big uh, urban areas like that, which, which basically swung the state of Georgia, swung the state of Pennsylvania, swung the state of Michigan to Joe Biden. And it's just like you said, you know, we don't know uh, after, what, 60 years from 1960 to 2020, what happened in the presidential election then, uh, how are we uh, supposed to know right now what's happened in this one? So I, I did... And I wanted to have this experience, which is why I did it. I was in my mid-20s and in law enforcement at the time. And I served, even though I lived in Bayonne, I served as an election observer in Jersey City Heights for a local mayoral election back in the mid-1980s. And it was very interesting to me to watch and, and to watch the challengers and people like that. But back then, there were only mechanical machines. And at the end of the evening, those machines, that they were sealed, that they 
representatives, uh, local representatives of both parties, Democrat and Republican, would observe the sealing of the machines, the, the recording of the votes. Um, it, it was something tangible that you could put your hands on at that time. That's right. And every voter that walked up to the table, there were very few absentee ballots and things like that back then. Um, every voter that walked up to the table and asked to vote would be one of the party members would have an opportunity to challenge that person to prove whether or not he actually lived in that district and was eligible to vote. So that, that's what challengers are all about, and, and that's a necessary function. In, in our um, democratic society, it, it, and, and I'm not upholding the democratic society, but that's just the, the reality that we live in. So being a challenger is yeah. a good job and a necessary function if you're really um, concerned with elections. So that being said, I don't even know. I haven't really looked into how the, these electronic voting systems actually work, but I don't know how you would isolate the, the code and, and the systems and the servers and, and everything necessary in order to even begin to determine whether any fraud ha has been perpetrated with an electronic voting system. We are at the mercy of what a technocrat tells us. That's what it seems to be. And, and I don't even know if a state legislature can have the, the, all of the information necessary to make a, a truly intelligent determination as to whether or not they should even use such a system. Uh, no, I, 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 th I think they are uh, sold on these systems. And I think, and I, I'm using Georgia as an example here again, because that's a southern state, and I'm right next door to it here in Alabama, and uh, I've got more knowledge of it than I do any of the other states. But uh, there were some rumors, and I think they probably have some, some foundation, that some of the uh, Republican uh, office holders in Georgia, all the way from the governor and the secretary of state, and maybe some members of the legislature, Republicans now, uh, are complicit uh, in using some of these uh, questionable uh, voting uh, machines and software that, that can't be traced. I mean, you just have to take the word of the people who are running them. Um, and, you know, again, here the, the, the problem is that you, you don't have solid, concrete proof here that you can use. Uh, you, you've just got to say, well, this doesn't seem right. Or this just seems so out of character with the last election or something circumstantial like that. But until you can get to the actual data uh, that, that, you know, was generated on election night, election day, then it all means nothing. It's merely conjecture. And I think they've complicated the whole process to the degree to sow this type of confusion where they can say, uh, okay, well, here's your winner, and uh, that's that, you know, and, and anybody who challenges it doesn't have anything solid to, to present to, to back their case up with, and I think we're seeing that being played out in spades right now. Trump probably is right that this election was stolen from him, but he, he doesn't have the proof, apparently, so what's it going to get him? It's gonna, not going to get him anything, I don't think.
No, and 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 even the way it played out on election night, it it was um, it was hokey. It it was. Have, have you ever seen states <laughs> stop counting? At, at 10 no, p.m. absolutely and not. They, they stopped counting at 10 p.m. Well, one candidate's ahead, and all of a sudden, at, after pulling something out of a magic box, the other candidate wins the next morning or two days later or three days later. It, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, that, that that's right. And everything that was pulled out of the magic box was all of a sudden tallied and then destroyed. And uh, the perpetrators can shrug their shoulders and say, uh, who me? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And if you can't get that conclusive, solid proof, which apparently the Trump campaign hasn't been able to do, you really don't have much of an argument other than I believe to my soul that I was cheated, and most of my followers do, and we're not going to accept the the outcome of this. And you know what kind of system do you have then? Right. The system is so wrong on so many levels, but. That this is the end result of the system that that it just can't be trusted. Yes, yes. Period. Yes, exactly. There's always this is a systemic failure. Yes, that there's always going to be um, ways to corrupt it because of the way it's organized, and and that this this uh, system yeah, that it, we it, have is corrupted on so many levels. Well, it is. It's corrupted. It's all. It's been corrupted for a long time on a moral level. Now it's being corrupted. Uh, the, the corruption is being furthered by a technological uh, uh, element here that uh, it shows these people, if you really know how to manipulate the system, this electronic uh, system, this computerized voting system, that you can hide your evil deeds and come up with the re- results you want and shrug your shoulders and say, hey, don't look at me. I'm innocent. Uh, where's your proof? And I think this is the, the probably the first election uh, that that we've, we've really seen this degree of cheating. And I think the Democrats, and I, I'm not a Republican, Bill, you know that. Uh, but in 2016, I think the Democrats got together after Hillary lost, and they said, we did not cheat hard enough. Next time, we're going to make sure that we know what we need, when we need it, and we're going to get, we're going to find a way to come up with it, and we're going, most importantly, to find a way to hide it. And I think they've done that. I think they've hijacked this whole process. And if they've been able to do that, the process is useless. Therefore, the American system of elections is dead. And if you don't have a system of elections in a purported democracy, you don't have a democracy. Now, we don't have a democracy anyway, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, well, why well, even vote? Why even bother to vote? I, I haven't studied it, but at a glance, that this election, the lines are even more polarized than they were the last time. Oh, I think so. And what does that mean? Uh, you know, we, we were talking uh, a little bit today before we came on the show here. Um and I told you, I said, I don't believe that Trump or Biden either one, nor their supporters. And, you know, that, that's roughly, you know, 70, 80 million people on each side. That's a huge number of people who are going to be set at odds with one another because neither is going to accept the other's victory as legitimate. So what happens then when you have a country divided in half uh, and one side is, uh, you know, determined that they got cheated out of this and the other 
uh, says tough luck, you know, better luck next time. So I don't know. We're in, uh, as I said, uncharted waters here. Well, I don't know if if you're exactly ready for this or not, but we had decided to present this this Joe Biden presidential campaign ad during the course of this presentation, but because this shows that there are going to be greater consequences for us in a Biden victory. I originally <laughs> yeah, thought right. that Trump would win and that I would write an article titled 2024 when it... Right when it's almost certain that we would have a Democratic president if Trump had a second term, that the Democrats, that they are more and more openly, avowedly Marxist than ever. And, and they are really becoming emboldened. And Joe Biden is clearly anti-white, anti-anything that stands up for white interests. So here I would like to um, present this Joe Biden presidential campaign ad, which includes commentary by somebody named Kyle Kondik. Now, Kyle Kondik is from the University of Virginia Center for Politics, right right from Charlottesville, right? And, and right. the video is only about two and a half minutes long because it's Joe Biden's ad wrapped around some Kondik um, commentary. Kondik's name, I, I took note, is actually spelled with three Ks, but he evidently only cares for the final syllable of his name. And and I'll leave that at that. <laughs> in, in this campaign ad, you were featured, sir, and, and you know that. And, and Biden yeah, is I've called... Yeah, I've been featured in two, two of them. Biden had called Charlottesville the key to the 2020 presidential election, which is incredible to me, considering everything that actually transpired in 2020. So if you don't mind, I'm going to present this. Sure. Charlottesville is also home to a defining moment for this nation in the last few years. It was there on August of 2017 we saw Klansmen and white supremacists and neo-Nazis come out in the open. Biden used the Charlottesville march and the president's response to it, which Biden and many others found to be lacking, and used that as an argument to say that, that, that Donald Trump should not be president and that we're at a moment of crisis. And you had some very bad people in that group, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. And that's when we heard the words of the President of the United States that stunned the world and shocked the conscience of this nation. He said there were, quote, some very fine people on both sides. Very fine people on both sides. He doesn't need to necessarily introduce himself to the country. I think the, the video was sort of providing kind of a rationale to run in that, essentially saying, hey, uh, I think this current president is an embarrassment. I'm going to run so that we can fix that. I mean, that is, again, it's more of a general election message than a primary election message, but it does give his candidacy a rationale. I think what can be dangerous sometimes is if you spend your campaign saying what you're not, you don't necessarily make a case for as, as for what you actually are and what you believe in and what your policy stances may be. Bringing up Charlottesville, I think, is also a way for him to say that he is sympathetic to the concerns of the people who were targeted by those neo-Nazis. The, the marchers in Charlottesville didn't like a whole lot of groups of people. Um, 
you know, Jews, obviously, they were, they were chanting, Jews will not replace us, but also minor, minority voters of all stripes. And, of course, the, the Democratic Party is very diverse, very sensitive to issues of diversity. And perhaps by highlighting Charlottesville, Biden is telling um, voters of color, um, Jewish voters, et cetera, that, hey, I, I care about the fact that, that these, these people were targeting you. I care about the fact that the president at some, at some points has seemed unsympathetic to the concerns of minorities in the United States and that I'm, I'm your candidate who can, who can uh, you know, replace this person in, in the White House. We can't forget what happened in Charlottesville. Even more important, we have to remember who we are. This is America. So that was Joe Biden's key to the 2020 presidential election. (laughs) Where perhaps 1,500 white nationalists wanted to just have a rally and hear some speeches. And, and the leftists turned it into a riot. But it's, we are the demons. I'm sorry. You may want to respond to that. Yeah, well, you know, we, we, you, and I, you and I have talked about Charlottesville a lot over the past uh, three-plus years. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of come to define uh, what, we, what we've done for the last three-plus years. But I'm not surprised at this, as, as you pointed out. You know, uh, there was that uh, Biden commercial. I actually made two of Biden's commercials, <laughs> campaign commercials this year, and I was quite proud of that, uh, being cast as the enemy, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's no doubt that once he gets in office, and if indeed he does, uh, he's going to come down hard on uh, what he calls, you know, domestic terrorism, and that, that basically is any white person who stands up for their own interests, particularly those of us who get out there on the front lines and have been doing this uh, in, uh, you know, situations like Charlottesville and uh, things before that and things subsequent to that. Uh, and I, I think we should get ready for it. I mean, I've said for the last quarter century, Bill, that we're at war with uh, with these people. And I, every passing year, every passing day has reinforced that belief in me and I think that we are in for some pretty hard times. And this is this is the time that's going to separate the men from the boys, as they say. If you're if you're a nationalist, uh, a pro-white uh, advocate, uh, you believe in in preserving uh, your race, your civilization, all these wonderful things that Yahweh has has bequeathed to us. Then you, you it's going to get real for you because you, you're going to to be facing an enemy that is bent upon your destruction and uh if a couple of things go right here uh, for the for the left uh no pun intended uh, in january that those georgia senate races they're going to control the whole government and they're going to use that government unlike the republicans uh, uh didn't use it to destroy their enemies and we are the low-hanging fruit uh, you know, they, they could come after us and probably most of the so-called normies out there, the MAGA people who supported Trump probably would just shrug their shoulders, but they will eventually come for them too, because this, this is, as you pointed out, and as I pointed out for the last couple of years, this is a, a, a new red terror that's being unleashed, a new Bolshevik, Judeo-Bolshevik revolution. Um, and th- this is the, uh, ultimate uh, uh, play uh, 
by, by the Jews uh, who have been in control of America for the last hundred years at least. And I think this is their final play for power. And white people had better wake up. And I think that if anything's going to wake them up, it's going to be a Biden administration that is overtly anti-white. And he is. But, you know, the other scenario there is, as some say, well, they're just going to kick poor old Joe out of the way. And Kamala or Kamala, whatever her name is, Harris is going to be the real president. And she, of course, uh, is virulently anti-white. So uh, they've got the whole apparatus of the government behind them. And what will they do with it? They will do what Bolsheviks always do with it. They will use it to destroy every enemy that they have. So that's what we've got to look forward to. Well, well that's why I, I chose this particular segment to present here is that this Kyle Kondik, his comments concerning what Trump had said about there being good people on both sides of Charlottesville, he... he despised Trump for that and ridiculed him basically for making that statement. And at the same time, his own arrogance is fully on display that they want to force us. They're Marxists. Kyle Kondik is a, is a cultural Marxist if he's not an economic Marxist. I, I don't know about his economics or his politics, but he's a cultural Marxist and wants to force us into his way of thinking as that is the only legitimate way of thinking. That's the arrogance of liberalism. That's the arrogance of all of these progressive politicians, that their way is the only right way and you must think like they do in order to have any acceptable role in society. Right. It's well, you incredible. know, I, I must disagree with Trump. There, there, weren't, there weren't good people on both sides. There were no good people on the left side at Charlottesville. I fully agree, sir. <laughs> that there were that there might yes, be I some agree. redeemable people that that are brainwashed, but there were no righteous people on the left side at Charlottesville. That's right. Absolutely, I saw them face to face. I mean, literally face to face, and they they were the devil's spawn. In Charlottesville back in 2017, there was a torch march. Now, I missed that because I didn't even know what was going to happen. Otherwise, I'd have probably liked to have been there. There was a torch march through the campus of the University of Virginia, but nothing was burned. Nobody looted Walmart. Nobody was injured because of that torch march. The following day, Virginia police helped to facilitate leftist violence against us, against the rally attendants. And that led to the cancellation of the, of the rally, and that led to many incidents of violence because of the way it, it was dispersed un, under threats of arrest, and, and we were pushed out into the leftists. What would they expect but outbursts of violence, regardless of who sure, initiated they got what it? They, they got what they wanted. They did. They got what they wanted, and, and perhaps... One woman was had died, or perhaps she was killed. But the leftists even agitated that incident when they intimidated a scared young man and drove him to despair in order to get him to crash into that crowd. Now, they didn't do that purposely, yeah. but that was the result. That was the result, absolutely. Dwayne Dixon actually And once bragged. it happened, they took full advantage of it. Right. Once it happened, they, they, they reaped the benefits of, of what they did. 
And, and actually, Dwayne Dixon, if I was a Virginia prosecutor, I'd be arresting him for being complicit in that murder. He chased that man with a rifle. Oh, uh, yeah. And bragged about he it. He certainly did. Yeah, and bragged about it. And uh, he just uh, walked away. You know, no consequences. But that's that's what happens when you have a, a, ju- a so-called justice system that, that is geared to, to persecute one side and, and to uh, leave the other side completely free to do whatever it wants to in the streets. Well, well the real hubris to me is not only in the substance of this video, but in the fact that Joe Biden made this campaign ad while Black Lives Matter riots were burning down cities across America, while communists in Portland and Seattle were declaring their own autonomous zones, zones of anarchy, while that was going on, Joe Biden was singling out the three-year-old events at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville as a pivotal point for American cool. society. And, and of course, featuring of course. you while clearly attempting to demonize the last white Americans who stood up for their own basic rights was in Charlottesville. That's right. That's that, it. That is hubris. Well, you know, the, the way it is hubris, but it's also something else. So, you know, I don't think that there's any doubt, and I'm sure all, all of your listeners will agree to this. That we live in the, in the, the Jewish dominated uh, uh, system. Uh, that that's been growing in this country uh, and other parts of the West for the last century, uh, and the the manifestation uh, uh, of a lot of this is is shown in the satanic principle of inversion, which is simply this: you lie. It's just like Christ pointed out to to the Pharisees in John eight forty four: you are of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the start, and so are you. These people have turned everything on its head, and they are blatant about it. Even when the facts are there for everyone to see, they still lie. They still lie, and they push that lie, and they push it. And that's why they're able to take something like Charlottesville, where anyone who was there knows what the truth is. And the truth was just 180 degrees opposite from what Biden and the national news media uh, made it out to be, and I, I saw it, you saw it, uh, and they're still doing that with this. I mean, they're going to ignore Antifa and Black Lives Matter, no matter how many cities they burn down, no matter how many people they kill. It's always going to go back to Charlottesville. It's also always going to go back to anything a white man does in op- in, in uh, response to all this, even if it's like uh, Kyle Rittenhouse you know, saving his own life in the streets against uh, uh, people who, uh, you know, had him outnumbered and were obviously going to kill him. Uh, they they uh, they did the same to us in Charlottesville. They pushed us out into that crowd and basically told us, if you defend yourselves, you are going to be held responsible uh, either as a criminal or in a civil case brought against you in the city. Absolutely. Uh, I knew at that time, Bill, I said, this system is broken. As a white man, a white nationalist, a Southern nationalist, I can't participate in in it anymore with any expectations of anything fair and just coming out of it. 
Absolutely, because there isn't going to be any justice. I really believe that these things are a prelude to what we are going to face in a Biden administration. Yes, that sir. This is what Absolutely. he ran on. You got this, that. He is a social justice warrior against white racists, and, and it's going to result in the destruction of white society where you're going to be an outlaw just to admit being white. And, and this, yeah, these exactly. are memes that have been going on in social media for two years. But what we have to find ways to bring these to the general mass of white people, to those 80 million disenfranchised white voters, so that they see it this way that's also. Right. In, in Seattle's chat. Well, that's right. That's... I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, go no, no, you go ahead, finish what you were saying, and I'll jump in. In, in, in the Chaz zone, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle, when, when this Charlottesville death happened with, with this kid, I'm going to call him a kid, he's in his 30s, I'm sorry, I don't even remember his name, but Jason, no, that's probably not it, I'm sorry, but this kid ran his car into that crowd because he was scared, he was in fear. And yeah, James Fields. James Fields, that's it, thank you, sir. Well, well. We heard James Fields in the media night after night after night after night for a year, maybe. And, and this horrible murder of this wonderful woman at, at Charlottesville in, in the Chaz zone. She was a fat pig. Yeah, she was a fat beast. And, and weighing 400 pounds, she had no business running around like a kid in the August heat of central Virginia. Wow. <laughs> well. She was asking for death. And anyway, in Seattle's Chaz Zone last summer, there were at least four violent shootings, which resulted in multiple deaths. There were rapes. That There were countless thefts and robberies. And, and Biden whitewashed the situation, sympathizing with anarchist protesters who, who basically reject the rule of law. And, and in one example, a Negro named Marcel Lawn Marcel Long shot another Negro, a teenager named Horace Anderson. He shot him multiple times and killed him. And now Anderson's father of record, because we never know what Negroes, who the real father is, his father of record <laughs> has filed a $3 billion lawsuit naming Seattle, King County, and the state of Washington as defendants. So even when you partake in this lawlessness, you're going to force the citizens of the state by the rule of law to, to pay you. Negroes don't want to be burdened by the law. That They don't want to be burdened those who would enforce the law. And then they want to shoot anyone who resists them with impunity. But once they're shot, they want to cash in at a white taxpayer's expense when their criminal behavior isn't as lucrative as they think it should be, when it didn't go the right way for them. And, and Joe Biden is their president. If he indeed becomes president, he's the, that's what Joe Biden represents. Yeah. That this, I, I, I don't know how to mean this to, to get it across to 80 million white Americans who should be disenfranchised, but they, they're going to have to face this reality or, or they're going to be in the Chaz zone. That, that they're, and, and the whole country is going to be a Chaz zone if Joe he, Biden has yeah, his way. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. There was yeah, another that, incident. I think that's his goal. Is right. Just exactly. to do that. 
because yes, you know my I, I had an I had an old friend who was one of the most astute and insightful political commentators I've ever known, Dr. Samuel Francis, who unfortunately died several years ago, much too soon. But Sam coined uh, uh, a term I think back in the 1990s, anarcho tyranny, and basically that's what we're seeing unfolding on the streets of America today. The anarchy part is obviously when you allow uh, with state sanction all the way to the top, uh, groups like Black Lives Matter and Antifa to run wild in the streets, to loot, to burn, to, to riot. Uh, but then uh, when uh, the people who are, are the victims of this dare to defend themselves, that's when the tyranny of the state comes in. It falls heavily on anyone who tries to defend themselves from the anarchy and lawlessness. So that is the playbook. That has always been the playbook of of, uh, of the Bolsheviks, and we are going to see that in an increasing uh, incidence, I think, here in America under a Biden presidency. And if that doesn't awaken these 80 million or so Trump supporters who voted for him, Bill, I don't know what will. Uh, but the key is awakening enough people at the same time where you reach a tipping point where something actually gets done other than people just bitching and complaining on social media. Well, that's absolutely true that social media people use Facebook and, and VK and other venues like that for all the wrong reasons that they, they should be drawing information from Facebook and VK from, from these white nationalist groups that exist there that can still exist there for a little while longer anyway. And, and they should be drawing that information and taking it to the public, not just sitting there and, and shit posting and, and thinking they've done something because you don't right. do anything speaking to the choir on Facebook ever. They, they should be. Uh, no, no, absolutely not. Facebook and Twitter and all these uh, BK and all these other social media places should be, as you said, a point of, for gathering information, but it also should be a point for organization in real life, as right. they say, because that's where this is headed. Uh, people are, are we, we have an abundance of uh, keyboard warriors out there, and I'm not disparaging the fact that there is intel work, organizational work to be done on a keyboard. But, uh, you know, this, this thing's going to go kinetic in real life before sooner rather than later, I believe. And that's when our people have got to get ready. I mean, it's going to get it's going to get ugly. I'm, I'm afraid. Well, well, you know, the League of the South national website it doesn't have a lot of content on it, but it has the position papers on it, which are which are the most important aspect of, of the literature, I believe, and some articles by yourself and others. But it gets probably thirty five thousand, thirty thousand unique visitors a month. And and that reaches a, a lot more people than the typical Facebook group. So that that's that the internet can be a valuable way to reach people. Other websites associated with the League of the South get many more visitors a month. So when when we can capitalize on that and reach people in that way, at least they have an opportunity to hear the truth on the internet. So the internet can be a good tool for reaching people, but when you're contained within a Facebook group, it's not a good tool because you're preaching to the choir. No. If you're not taking that outside, that what you learn in that Facebook group 
at, or in that VK or Twitter feed, you have to take that outside and do something in the world with it. And, and a lot of these people, that it, it's been my observation, they fulfill their own sense of accomplishment when they publish a meme on Facebook. And, and that's all they do. Yes. They that's stop right. there, which is crazy. Well, it is it is crazy, Bill. I, I think that there are, are other means uh, of reaching people, as you pointed out, on the Internet. But I also think that in the situation we have developing here where uh, everything is going to be falling back on uh, local communities, uh, particularly if things really get bad in the cities, I, I, I'm seeing a possible transportation shutdown. Uh, no telling what stemming from that. Uh, maybe a fuel crisis. I mean, just basic chaos out there is a possibility. People need to make sure they have established good connections within their own local communities. And normally that would be a county wide area, uh, maybe even smaller, uh, depending on, you know, whether you live in a major metro area or like me in a rural county. But I've started going out and, and going, uh, to gun stores and I'll just drive around sometime on a, on a Saturday or, or Sunday afternoon and just look uh, and see if I see a Trump sign, if I see a Confederate flag or something like that. And I'll just stop at the house and, uh, hand, uh, hand the guy, you know, a copy of the free Magnolia and, and introduce myself and talk with him and, you know, let him talk to me. And after a while, you know, you, 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 you build up a network of people in your local area that you know that they think, like you do. And I think that that's what we need to be doing right now, too, is is not just concentrating on those large numbers of people that we can reach on the Internet, but a smaller number that we can reach in our own local area that, that we can, you know, go to uh, quickly in real life when trouble comes. And trouble, I think, is going to start in the big urban areas, but I think it's going to seep outwards into the suburbs uh, and then out into the smaller towns and, and rural areas eventually, particularly if Biden and Harris have the entire uh, federal law enforcement, and that means they have federal, they have state and local sewed up too, probably. If they have this whole establishment, we're going to need that because we're going to be targets of persecution, and we can't ha- we can't fend these things off by ourselves. We have to have help. Well, well, absolutely. There was in in the riots last summer, there was a lot of rhetoric on the left among the Antifa people that they were saying that they had to take their riots to the suburbs. It's coming. Right. It might be the next wave of riots. It might be the one after that. But they've come to realize that destroying the inner cities, they're really only harming themselves. and, And most white people don't care. So they know they have to take no, it to the suburbs. I, no. I don't think it's going to be successful in the suburbs unless America is disarmed. And and that's another then it's going to get really dangerous. Oh, it's going to it's it, the, it's over for us if we're ever disarmed. Uh once you let yourself get disarmed, it is over. I mean, <laughs> they can promise you everything and if you don't have the means to enforce the them keeping the promise then you are a slave. So you give your guns up once, it's over. Well, it's just well, like right, taking absolutely. the vaccine that you don't know what's in it. You know, you take it once, and if bad stuff's in the vaccine, it's too damn late. 
and we can't take for granted that it's that it's not going to happen in, in Texas. And in, in this last election, the Democrats in the Texas legislature made a lot of gains. They really did. The Republicans in the Texas legislature still have a clear majority, but the majority is only half the size that it was in 2019. <clears throat> so the, the Democrats made a lot of gains in the Texas legislature, and they've already put a lot of bills regarding guns in, in front of the legislature as, as law. And, and the, the session didn't even start yet. And, and the Democrats have a whole list of gun bills that are going into the legislature this year. One of them limits capacity, um, magazine capacity for rifles to, and, and pistols to 10, all right? But that's just every little incremental encroachment that's made sure. a, against our right to keep and bear arms erodes it. So one important bill, I believe, is um, this Mexican Democratic legislator named Terry Meza. And she really looks like a real beast when you see her picture. She looks like an old hag. Well, she filed this bill, <laughs> HB 196, which aims at virtually repealing the state's castle doctrine. And in, in the state's castle doctrine is basically like a stand your ground inside your house law where, where you have a right to just shoot anybody who comes to your home armed in, in, in order to commit a theft or anything against you. You could just shoot him and, and you're covered under the state's castle doctrine. Her bill would require property owners to flee their homes when the homes are broken into by would-be thieves and robbers rather than standing and defending their property. The current castle doctrine, you have a right to stand and defend your property. She is attempting to rewrite it so that you're required first to flee if there is a safe avenue of flight. And, and that's all subjective. Of One course. man might consider jumping out the second floor window a safe avenue of flight, and, and you may not think that's too safe the moment you're confronted with the possibility. So, <laughs> th this is ridiculous the well, way it's written, and, and she claims she's not trying to diminish the Castle Doctrine, but she absolutely is. The state's demographics are changing rapidly, this is unlikely to pass the current legislature, but in six years, it very well might pass. It very well might. At least, uh, at least they're giving us up front uh, some idea of what they would like to impose upon us. And that means that we need to uh, make sure that we're ready to do what is necessary politically or otherwise. And I don't think this thing has a political solution bill at all. But we need, we need to be ready uh, when the time comes to say, well, uh, I've exhausted every uh, avenue politically. I've, uh, I've, you know, I've talked to my face turned blue, and none of it's done any good. So what's left? Uh, and that's where we're coming to. Uh, and that's always the way it is historically. I've spent you know, 20 years teaching history on the college level, and I know history pretty well, and I know that most of the the great issues of history have not been settled by words. They've been settled by cold steel and hot lead. In other words, violence or threat of violence. And we're no different here. Americans have always thought they were exceptional in that way, but we're about to learn, I'm afraid, that we're not.
And if you want to be free, white man, you better damn well get ready to fight for that freedom. Well, well right. We can't ride the coattails of ancestors from 160 years ago or, or from 240 years ago. We just can't do it. No, we can take it back. We can take uh, take uh, courage uh, from their example, uh, but we can't ride their coattails. Uh, they gave us something. It's up to us to keep it and pass it on to our progeny. Absolutely. And and the the proponents of that this Mesa bill that this the the thinking that she has and this is not unique because I've seen this quite often the last couple of years coming from the mouths of leftist criminals. It it was um a prevalent attitude with all the looting and pillaging of businesses that was going on in the BLM riots last year. The attitude that Mesa has and others like her is that you should allow your personal belongings to be stolen rather than take somebody's life over the loss of your personal belongings because your belongings are insured and the insurance company will cover it for you. (laughs) That's incredible. What a system. What so the, a system that would be. Yeah, these people are saying well, we should allow I, I, ourselves I guess to we be could, robbed. Yeah, I guess we could all go into a different field of work. I mean, you know, burglarizing and robbing homes would be uh, quite lucrative, wouldn't it? And everybody could live on, on on pawn shops and insurance. That's exactly right. Well, what a system, man. What a system. <laughs> that, this, that this is incredible. That this is... Also, incredible hubris that you should just suffer the loss of your material possessions because they're insured. And and I can hardly ins- afford insurance for, for the house that I have. If I had to insure it against beasts and, and thieves and robbers, as well as hurricanes here in Florida and, and floods, I would never be able to afford that insurance. The insurance would skyrocket. No, it, it's no. just another way to force us into the, this global corporate Marxism. Well, that's that's exactly right. I, I was I was talking uh, with my wife earlier today or last night. I can't remember exactly w- what time we were talking about this, but you know they they when I say they, I mean the, the neo Bolsheviks, the the Jew dominated system. I think the whole goal is is to make the white working and middle class uh, on the level with uh, third world peasants. And I thought that for a long time, that that was the whole goal of of the globalist economic movement. And now I think they've seized control of the, or trying to seize control of the political reins. And uh, they're going to try to fast track this thing and make us all poor, uh, disarmed and helpless. Uh, and then they'll tell us what to do and when to do it. Uh, I just don't want to live like that. I'm damn well determined not to. Well, well, right. And and this leads me to the next portion of of what I'd like to present here today. And and this is first the fact that the U.S. government denies that Black Lives Matter is a political movement. But second, on the other hand, the admission by a Black Lives Matter co-founder that they are indeed a Marxist organization. So they're operating yeah. under the guise of being apolitical, but they have definite political objectives. I, I, I would like to play this. It, it's, I, I think it's not even a minute long, this admission, and, and she's actually being interviewed 
by a Negro interviewer who admires her, and she's one of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, and, and she admits being openly Marxist. And, and the, the, the entire movement has Marxist sympathies, Marxist philosophy. So I would like to play that. Oh, you never mind. tried to cover that up. No, but most people don't know this in the public because the media doesn't talk about it. Right. Exactly. It's incredible. They just think this is a, just a manifest, a new civil rights movement. Right. But uh, I mean, they're, they're not going to. Well, once this succeeds, if it ever succeeds, it, it nobody is going to like the economic circumstances <laughs> they're going to be forced to live under. What, which is That's going to be right. abject poverty in the end. It's, I could talk about the Communist Manifesto or what happened in Bolshevik Russia, how the Bolsheviks forced people to share their homes with other people based on the number of rooms that they had in their sure. homes. It did not matter who paid for the house or who pays the rent. Didn't matter who bought right. the house, who owned it. None of that mattered. If you have a five-bedroom house that they're going to invite for Pedro's into your house to occupy the four extra bedrooms. That's it. And, and, and another aspect of Marxism was forced free love. And the Bolsheviks forced Russian women not to decline the advances of any man. It's all of the Marxism, Marxist communism is all of the hippie commune free love attitudes of the 1960s forced on everyone and it's jewish at its core of course and more importantly than that bill it's it's the uh it's the opposite uh of god's uh ten commandments god's law set down in the ten commandments it's a mocking of that because it flies in its face and demands that we do everything completely the opposite from what God has laid down in his law for us. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I would like to play this if you don't mind, sir. Sure, go ahead. He was concerned or is concerned that, uh, that there's a lack of perhaps uh, uh, ideological direction in Black Lives Matter that would allow it to be, to, to, to fizzle out, in, as he said, um, uh, in comparison to Occupy Wall Street. Uh, as you are, are advanced in your own organization, as you all are headed to Cleveland to participate in this Black Lives um, Movement conference, how do you respond to that particular critique? Again, a loving critique from an elder of the struggle uh, that some others share, uh, that I've even shared as well, to, to be frank, as a concern about, uh, in part because of the co-optation and, and the appropriation, that, that a, a more clear ideological um, structuring might be of some value here. But how do you respond to, to, to those kinds of, again, loving criticisms? Um, I think that the criticism is helpful. Um, I also think that it might... Um, I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theories. Now, now, she wasn't very eloquent in her speech. 
She, she really didn't have her thoughts together, but that's Patrice Colors, C-U-L-L-O-R-S, on, an, on, on the Real News Network, TRNN.com. I'll include the video with this presentation, but she's admitting to being a trained organizer and a trained Marxist. When asked about whether or not she had a real philosophical foundation, she responded with the fact that she was a Marxist. That's her philosophical foundation. <laughs> That's pretty, uh, pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty plain what's going on there. And, you know, can, can you imagine what would happen if Trump came out and openly supported a uh, organization that one of the founders and leaders uh, confessed uh, to being a national socialist? Right. Absolutely. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, the, the Jew media, media would jump all over that. But since the Jew media is very sympathetic to Marxists, if not outright Marxists itself, uh, you just get a shrug of the shoulders. Well, so what? You know? Well, well, right. But many of these Democratic politicians, especially, now, now there are Republicans that are Marxists also, but many of these Democratic politicians are now openly embracing Marxist sympathies. And, and to me, this is the real elephant in the room this year, that the founders of the yes, so-called Black Lives Matter movement and many of its leaders are avowed Marxists. So Yes, absolutely. Earlier this year, the U.S. Office of Special Counsel issued a special disclaimer titled Black Lives Matter and the Hatch Act. Now, the Hatch Act was an act, or in Hatch, it was an act that said that government employees cannot um, involve themselves in partisan politics, right? In the workplace. You could have no politics right. in the government right. workplace. So you could not right. be a government employee and put up a MAGA sign or a Trump banner or wear a MAGA hat. You wouldn't be, that, that would be partisan politics. You had to remove that hat. But... It was decided by the U.S. Office of Special Counsel that since Black Lives Matter is not a partisan political group, that their slogans and symbols are allowed in the workplaces of federal employees, reasoning that it doesn't violate the Hatch Act. Now, now why would trained Marxists acting as subversives have any care for American partisan politics? O of course they wouldn't be <laughs> partisan or political in that sense, but they're absolutely political. So, so the Hatch Act is well, only the Democratic. I'm sorry. Sure, the Democratic Party is their vehicle. Yes. You know they 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 have no love for the Democratic Party or what it stood for historically, or Democratic politicians or voters. The Democrat Party is merely a vehicle to seize power, and that that's what they're using it for. And for the Hatch Act not to apply to Black Lives Matter. It's patently ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But that was the decision of the government under Donald Trump. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that goes to us? show you how corrupt the government is, regardless of who the titular head of it may be. Uh, the the U.S. government has been established uh, this way for a long time. I mean, you've got your career bureaucrats and. Uh, functionaries and all apparatchiks as the Soviets call them. Um, you know, this is not going to change. It doesn't make any difference whether 
uh, Trump is in, in the White House or Joe Biden or anybody else. It's just that they can come out in the open when Biden's there because you know, he's one of them. But uh, this just shows you what Trump, if Trump was truly a man of, of the people, uh, you know, the, the, the great white hope, I guess you might say, uh, he would have he would have done something about this. Uh, I guess you could call it, for lack of a better term, the deep state uh, that that makes these kinds of decisions. But you know, he either didn't do it because he didn't want to, or he didn't do it because he couldn't do it. Uh, they're that entrenched and powerful. I don't know. What I was hoping, and this is off on another tangent, we will have to go there. But I do want to throw it out there. I was hoping that Trump, if he got back in office might come out and say, well, I'm, you know, this is it for me. I, I don't have to worry about re-election in 2024. Uh, now I can do what I really want to, and I'm really going to destroy the deep state. <laughs> I was hoping that might happen, but I, I was not, I was kind of uh, not willing to bet my house on it. Well, well, right. That's just were a manifestation hoping... of what you, point, what you point out. A lot of people were hoping that would happen. That, that the, the, um, there have been people who have stuck by Trump um, in spite of his open Zionism, his blatant Zionism, they've stuck by him. That they've um, imagined that he's playing 3D chess or 4D chess or 5D right. chess. It's <laughs> right. become a meme. Yeah. But but no, it's it, I could see where your reasoning lies. I, I mean, a lot of people thought that Reagan would have a better second term than he had a first term, and they shot him. Perhaps they didn't have to That's shoot exactly Trump. That's exactly right. It, if Trump was ever um, sincere about his original campaign pros- promises, I, I guess they d- didn't really have to shoot him. They probably just brought up Jeffrey Epstein or, or something like that, right? <laughs> they had something on everybody. There's dozens of pictures oh, of Trump of course. With Epstein. It's incredible. So, so they're all dirty. Of course. And, and I really do believe that that's how that they control the entire paradigm. Through vehicles like Jeffrey Epstein, he's certainly not the only one. The, no, these... no, no. He's probably just the tip of the iceberg, the, the more most visible uh, uh, thing in, in that uh, particular paradigm. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, who, what do they have on Trump? Uh, what kind of what kind of uh, uh, stick are they threatening to beat him with? Have they threatened his family? Do they have pictures of him with? You know, fourteen-year-old girls. Uh, who knows? But uh, something, uh, something has restrained him from keeping his original campaign promises to the people who voted for him. The Republican Party, that these, this conservative party, these last fifty years has really only appeared to be opposing this progressive agenda that has been carried out by the Democratic Party, but the Republicans have also advanced aspects of it as well. But they, they, they couch it in different terms, and, and it, it's they're all corporate Zionists, that they're all pro-globalism, and the Republican Party has done a lot of nefarious things to white Americans, that the um, Equal Opportunity Act... Richard Nixon in, in the 1970s forced school busing. And, and I remember riots sure. in the North over forced busing because nobody wanted blacks mm-hmm. in their suburban schools. So, so this right. war against us ha- has been advanced by both parties, but the Republicans 
seem to, they give the American people the appearance that there's an alternative and there's not. There's never been an alternative. That is correct. That's right. There has. And, and anyone who knows the history of the Republican Party and its origins will realize that back in the 1850s, the Republican Party was largely founded, not completely, but uh, largely, by uh, German immigrants uh, who were leftists who had been kicked out of uh, the uh, German states after the failed Red Revolutions of 1848. Right. And they came to America with the same ideologies, and they put together the Republican Party. So the Republican Party, in its origins, is red, Marxist red. Yes, I fully agree. Lincoln and Marx, Lincoln and Marx were corresponders. They yeah. corresponded with each other. Yes, they did. And, and from what I understand, they got along well. And, and, and they embraced they all, all of those same egalitarian ideals that were also espoused by Quakers and Puritans. Right. Exactly. So we've, we've had this uh, red, red Republican thread in American history uh, for a long, long time. And it's beginning to really, really show up now uh, in the political life of the country. And, I, I just think that for most whites, whites are going to have to say, well, uh, politically, I'm not represented by the Democrats for sure. And upon closer uh, examination, I'm really not re- represented by the Republicans either. So where do I go? What is my extra political alternative here? Well, I, I'm afraid that, that if things were were really on the up and up, that, that if if the world was really honest, that the Dixiecrats should have formed a third party back in the 1960s and 70s rather than flocking to the Republican Party. That so, was the great mistake that Southerners made. Absolutely, Bill. In, in 1948, you had the Dick, Dixiecrats. Uh, uh, you know, they, they were a the, the Southern wing of the Democrat Party. They had already been betrayed by Roosevelt, and they were in the process of being further betrayed by Harry Truman. They should, they should have pushed that and, and told Southerners, "This is your vehicle from now on. Uh, don't go to the Republican Party." My grandfather, uh, uh, you know, he he was very conservative. He had been raised a Democrat. And he wouldn't vote for Republican because you, a Southern man just didn't vote for Republicans. So right. he just wouldn't vote. He said, the Democrats have left me, but I can't vote for a damn Republican. Right. So, uh, you know, what do you do? If there had been a Dixiecrat party, he could have voted for that with a good conscience. Well, I, it, it's my opinion. Mistake. I was a very young boy at the time. It's my opinion. You're a few years older than me, so you probably remember better, and you probably know more because you're a Southerner born and raised. But but I think it was Reagan that really fused the the Southern Democrats into the Republican Party. I might be wrong about that, but it seems to me that that well, actually, actually, Reagan Reagan was uh, uh, the kind of the final push of Southerners into the Republican Party, but. Actually, Barry Goldwater was the first back in, uh, I think it was 1964. The Jew from Arizona. Yeah, the Jew from Arizona. <laughs> that was the one. Yeah, he Mr. Conservatism, you know. 
uh, yeah, he he was the one that start, that opened the door for Southerners right. uh, to go from the Democrat Party to the Republican Party on a national level. Now, Southerners did not do that at that time on the state and local level. They still voted for Democrats like George Wallace, you know. Uh, but on the national level, yeah, Barry Goldwater in 1964 represented a big, big uh swing for southerners they for the first time uh southerners voted in mass for a republican candidate on the presidential level so it was not a big jump for them to do that uh for richard nixon or certainly for ronald reagan his landslide in 72 to south voted nixon but i think that was inevitable because oh absolutely mondale was the candidate that but you're right about Goldwater. I was just yeah, too young that, to remember that. I, I mean, I, I remember yeah. Goldwater ran for president only from school in 1964. Right, right. That this, but what, yeah, what, I, I think I think that's when it when it all started, and it culminated with Reagan. By the by, 1980 when Reagan ran, Southerners were voting uh, Republican, just like it had been their tradition for you know a couple hundred years, but it hadn't. So, absolutely, I agree. And and that's a shame. They they really yes. should have tried to form a third party. And those Dixiecrat representatives and senators of, of the six fifties, sixties, they really should have tried to break off a third party, in in my opinion. And the South would have been a lot better oh, off. Oh, my opinion and, too. And the country in the long run may have been a lot better off, but it just wasn't meant to happen. Uh, yeah, it, it was not. Uh, you know, who knows what Yahweh's uh, plan for history is, but uh, I think we're seeing it uh, unfold right now. And, uh, you know, with all, with all the, you know, doom and gloom and, and, and dire predictions that, that, you know, we've been talking about today, I'm still optimistic uh, about all this. Uh, I just think, we, you know, sometimes the people has to be put through the fire bill. And our people certainly need to be hardened by that fire because we've gotten way too soft and we've taken way too much for granted. And I think uh, that our God is is going to say, okay, I'm going to find out who my warriors are now. And he's setting the stage for that. And I think the, the, the rising up of the Jew here over the last hundred years will be his last hurrah. And he'll be uh, beaten and banished to the pit of hell where he belongs. But we got an interesting time coming up and an interesting and pretty hard fight on our hands, I think. Well, well, absolutely. I agree. And and I believe that we as an organization, the League of the South, and, and we have to find ways to capitalize on these circumstances in, in order to um, reach, to use these circumstances in a way that reaches our people to pull them out of that fire and 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 to bring them into organizations like like our own because we should be looking for fellow warriors we should be looking to make warriors out of our people they're going to need to be well that yeah that that's true and uh, that was one of the things i wanted to to use this organization for when i formed it 26 years ago and we've been through a lot of changes, but we still have the same ultimate goals. And we have some uh, we have some battle tested people, truly, truly battle tested people, uh, in this organization. We we've had a lot of people come and go who, when the going got a little tough, they got going and left, which is fine. I mean, you you don't want the, that kind of detritus 
uh, cluttering up your organization and, and weakening it. Uh, but we are looking for good men and women out there who are who are white nationalists, uh, Southern nationalists in particular, but uh, we, we're not limited just to Southerners. Um, and we, we're the League of the South because obviously we're mainly Southerners. We were formed in the South, and we we adhere to, to a lot of these Southern principles, one of which is a traditional Christian uh, worldview um, and a traditional political worldview. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Uh, this is a time that we need to be organizing. We need to be pulling people in. We need to be training them, educating them, and uh putting them back out to, to find other people to come in uh, and just have a continuous stream of whites coming into to this organization to get, to get trained and get educated and get ready for battle because the battle is, is, is here. Yes, sir. I believe it is. It, it's right at the doorstep. It gets worse and worse every year. And, and I, I really do believe that with Joe Biden as president, it it is going to be brought to the suburbs and to rural America. Uh, yes, it will. Uh, you know, I, I, going back to that, I've 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 never really had that much faith in suburbs uh, because uh, they are the places where a lot of white urbanites move to to get away from the Negroes and uh, the uh, you know the Jews. Um, and I'm not sure that they quite got that warrior spirit that small town and rural folks have. We'll see. But I think the real test of, of Black Lives Matter and Antifa and how much uh, they're uh, able to run riot in the country will be determined when they get into some of these small towns and rural areas and far-reaching, maybe far-reaching suburbs of smaller cities. Uh, where you really have a white element who is used to uh, gun ownership, gun use, uh, law enforcement, ex-military background, things like that. Uh, just good old boys, as we say down here in the South. Well, That's when you're going to find out how much white resistance there's going to be. Right. That they're more self-sufficient. And, and you write about suburbanites, wh whether it be north, northern suburbanites or southern suburbanites, that they escape the city yes. because they have the economic means to buy a home in the suburbs and they don't change their patterns of behavior that created those cities in the That's first place. Right. And, and we have Californians. That is right, sir. We, we have Californians pouring into Texas and, and into Colorado, and they're creating little Californias. That they're That's not right, changing. Sir. They're not saying, no, oh, not maybe it was a mistake the way I was thinking back in California. <laughs> maybe I should change and adapt yeah, maybe, my ways. That's right. Maybe, yeah, maybe what I created in California, I don't need to replicate in Texas. If, if you know how to make a good flapjack, it's going to be a good flapjack wherever you go. And if you screw it up, it. the same recipe used over and over again is only continue to screw it up. <laughs> little Good basic point, elements point. of life that people don't understand they never grasp i know i know it, it it just makes you want to grab people and shake them say man wake up you know it's simple it's very fundamental understand it but yeah i i think you're right i i, I think a lot of these suburbanites who've moved out of the urban areas into the suburbs have not changed the way they think They've not changed the way they live, and they will probably end up paying a big price for it.
Absolutely. And, and you can see that in places in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in, in New Jersey, where you've had expansion out of cities that, that what used to be two blue counties are now six blue counties. Mm -hmm. it, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, I, I think we've seen the same thing uh, with Atlanta, too. Uh, you know, Atlanta used to be just a, <clears throat> a, a big country town. I remember I used to go there when I was a, a teenager in the 60s, late 60s. And it was just like a big country town, you know, you had a bunch of uh, good old boys and, and, and their women had moved out from surrounding counties in, in Atlanta to work. And it was just a great place. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you enfranchised the niggers and you brought in the more Jews. And uh, then, you know, you got what you got today. And all these white folks had moved out to surrounding counties uh, but, uh, you know, they, they carried the attitudes with them, the leftist attitudes that they've developed over the years with them. So now instead of having one county that's blue there, you've got five or six around Atlanta. So it just it's like it's like a cancer that spreads. And they keep repeating the same recipe. It's incredible. That's it. It is. It is. Well, sir, thank you for being here. And, and it's been a pleasure. And I pray we could do this again soon. Well, sir, uh, it's always my pleasure to be on with you. We always have good discussions here, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm at your beck and call anytime, sir. I'll be on anytime you want me. Well, thank you, sir. Perhaps um, when we find out who the president is, <laughs> whether they drag Donald <laughs> yeah, Trump right. screaming and kicking out of the White House or not, perhaps we could come back and, and offer our <laughs> best assessment of the situation. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be very interesting, whatever happens, that's for sure. Yes, it will. Thank you, sir. Praise Christ. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. I, I appreciate it. Yahweh bless. Yahweh bless.